We're now ready in this exhortation hour before the memorial service to hear words of exhortation on the seventh I Am, the seventh figurative title of John's Gospel, spoken as was the sixth just shortly before the Lord's betrayal, subsequent crucifixion. Brother Ernie Glass will exhort us this morning then on the subject of I am the true vine. Turn to John chapter 15 and let's read the first four verses. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Let's give our attention to Brother Ernie. morning, brothers, sisters, friends of the truth. Uh, my sister, wife, and I have truly enjoyed the classes and the fellowship this weekend. Uh, Brother Aaron, he uh, I've heard him say this before, he, he likes for you to put your eyes on the verse. Uh, I want you to put your eyes during this... Uh, Exhortation on the one dealing with the uh, the grapevine. <clears throat> this is what we're going to be uh, speaking about the vine, and uh, you would notice notice the branches on that vine. There's lots of branches on that vine, and uh, notice if you look real close. There's a multitude of clusters of grapes. And also, if you would, uh, look at that man standing under that vine. Uh, That's a large vine. And uh, Jesus, he used uh, parables in his teachings. And uh, parables are when you take something from... uh, nature, or everyday life, and you bring out a spiritual principle. A spiritual principle. Now, keep that in front of you, lay it down, and I want you to look at this other handout that was passed out. And uh, I found this in my studies for this exhortation. And uh, this is part of the... uh, the house of prayer that will be built during the kingdom age. And uh, 
I want to read just a little bit, not much, from the Temple of Ezekiel's Prophecy by H. Sully. Uh, you know, there's lots of symbolism in the Scripture. Lots of symbolism. And we who have learned the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and come under a covenant relationship with God by means of being baptized and come under the provisions of Jesus' shed blood, we know that not only our personal sins are forgiven, but also He is a covering, a covering for our sin nature. Sin nature. And if you look at this uh, handout, you'll notice this foliage that's over the latex lattice and uh, the foliage was cut back so you could see the the lattice H. Uh, Sully says that this is uh, a shield and a shade this luxury, luxurious foliage and think about Christ our covering even in, in, even in the uh, a kingdom age uh, there's symbolical symbolism exists. The building is to be furnished with coverts of foliage provided to the sides of the porch, its face, and the arches. Zechariah testifies that all the nations shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. There will not be any necessity for those who go up to collect boughs of trees in order to construct a shelter. Protection will be already furnished by intertwining foliage in all the roofs of the temple, transforming its chambers into charming bowers. Almost any variety of climbing plant might be used for the purpose. The beautiful and luxurious grapevine will undoubtedly be required. H. Sully says, Some may doubt whether a vine could be grown to such an enormous height as the ribs of the temple and up to the corner towers. But those acquainted, and look at your handout, look at the size of that grapevine. But those acquainted with the extraordinary productivity of the vine will not apprehend any difficulty. Those also who have pruned the vine and tended the growth of its fruit will know the enormous power of its development. Incessant pruning and disbudding is necessary in order to check its growth. Under favorable conditions, the natural exuberance of growth would have full play. With suitable soil and climate, is, its development is unlimitable. Of this, we have a hint in the account of the journey of the spies who searched in the land of Canaan before the children of Israel took possession. As an evidence of the fruitfulness of the land, they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes 
and they bear it between two upon a staff. But the fruitfulness of the Lamb in the past is to be exceeded in the future. Then shall the earth yield her increase. Until now the earth has been burdened with a curse, but shortly this will be removed. And then the wonder of the earth's fertility will become apparent. There is no difficulty, therefore, of a practical kind in the way of tree growth covering the sides and top of the sanctuary, thus converting it into a delightful booth or bower for the people who assemble there. In fact, so suitable for the necessities of the case is the provision for some kind of shelter during certain seasons of the year that we have the strongest possible reason for accepting this explanation of an otherwise mysterious matter. From the foregoing premises, it follows that the trees are to be grown in the precincts of the sanctuary to an unusual extent and in an unprecedented manner. Further, Further, it may be noted that not only is the central building to be covered, but the corners of the sanctuary, the towers or corner courts, are likewise to be covered with luxurious foliage. Foliage that will protect the occupants from wind. Think about that. Thick enough to keep out rain and especially the heat from the sun. And as I read this, I was thinking, uh, there's going to be a lot of work going on in the kingdom age because there'll be landscaping and these vines will have to be pruned and they're supposed to be arranged beautifully. And the, the grape, the wine, is supposed to be used in the service of the temple and it will take a, a huge amount of wine and if you look at the grapes on that handout, you can see where that wine will come from. And also there will have to be bullocks and lambs and doves for the sacrifices in the temple. So there's going to be a lot of activity when the Lord returns and this, this wonderful house of prayer is erected. John 15, chapter 1. I am the true vine. Verse 1. I am the true vine. Jesus Christ says He is the true vine. If He is the true vine, there must have been another vine. Let's turn to Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgment and His ways past finding out. Do we search the Scriptures for these riches? Do we pray for guidance in this endeavor? Okay, back to John 15, 
I am the true vine. I am. And we've already, we've been to Exodus 3.14 many times in our previous classes. Yahweh reveals His memorial name to Moses and to us. I will be whom I will be. God's purpose is to manifest Himself in a multiplicity of sons and daughters who shall be united as one in Him. A multiplicity of sons and daughters. Many sons and daughters. I remember the first time I thought about that. It gave me hope. Hope. And it also... There came a realization on my part that I could be one of these fortunate sons. I will be who I will be. A multiplicity of sons who shall be united as one in Him. And Aaron brought that out in his previous class. United in Him as one. These potential sons and daughters must separate themselves from Egypt, Egypt, whether literal or spiritual, and dedicate themselves unto Him, Yahweh, building into their lives these divine characteristics that reveal they are His sons and daughters. The memorial name is therefore... Prophetic. You know, a lot of us, we, we, we like to study prophecy and think about it, talk about it, and associate with those that uh, look into these things. The memorial name is therefore prophetic of Yahweh's intentions to reveal Himself in a people of His choice. I will be whom I will be. <clears throat> Unfortunately, and this is really sad, unfortunately Yahweh's chosen people, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Unfortunately, Yahweh's chosen people, except for a remnant, a remnant, a king or a, a priest, a prophet, a mother, a sister or a brother. The nation of Israel, it failed in Egypt, it failed in the Exodus, it failed in the wilderness, it failed in the promised land, and it's even failing now. Instead of Yahweh... They chose other gods to worship, disregarding all his prophets, killing some, and they, and worse, they rejected and are still rejecting his son. Israel was like a vine with bad fruit, unusable. You have to have good wine, good fruit to make good wine. Let's turn to Jeremiah, the second chapter. <clears throat> For of old time I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands, and thou saidest, 
I will not transgress, but upon every high hill and every under every green tree thou wanderest, plain the harlot. Yet have I planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? For though thou wash thee with nitrate and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord. How canst thou say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. See thy way in the valley. Know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dormitory, traveling, traversing her ways. A wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure. In her occasion, who can turn her away? Have you ever ridden a horse that, that you couldn't get to turn? All they that seek her will not weary themselves. In her mouth, in her month, they shall find her. Withhold thy foot from being unshod, and thy throat from thirst. But thou saidest, There is no hope, no, for I have loved strangers, and after them will I go. The nation of Israel continued to uh, worship other gods and the images of these other gods. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he get fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And if you'll notice there, Yahweh did a lot of things for that vine that he planted in that vineyard that he prepared there. He did a lot. Psalms 80, turn back to Psalms 80, verse 8. <clears throat> this is an interesting verse. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Verse 12. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her. Now think about that vineyard that Yahweh uh, built. And now the wall, the hedges have been broken down, and everyone that comes back can see it and pluck the grapes. 14. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven, behold, and visit this vine. And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself. 
so will not we go back from thee, quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord of Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. John 15. Do you see why Jesus could say, I am the true vine? I am the true vine. Two things stand out in the life of Jesus Christ among the thousand others. The crucifixion of the flesh, both on the stake and in his daily life. Think about that. The crucifixion of the flesh, both on the stake and previously in his daily life. Including all his present day vanities. Think about all the things we waste our time on. And at the same time, while he was living and in his death, the highest exaltation of God in truth. You know, Aaron was talking about truth. Well, Brother Aaron was talking about truth a while ago. I am the truth. Not only within him, but without. Done with abounding and enriching love with the most touching sympathy and pity for our dying estate. Do we have sympathy and pity for the people around us? For brothers and sisters that failed for a time and sometimes all their life? Oh, the depth of the riches. You know, I started... uh, first part of my class about the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches embraced in the life, death, resurrection, and immortalization of our Savior, priest, and future King, Jesus Christ. And brothers, uh, talk just a minute for us, you and I included. Uh, think about uh, getting a grasp on these uh, Riches that we're considering this period. Think about that. Think about the things that we know regarding God's plan and purpose for man and this earth. You know, we even though uh, our sin nature is covered, we're still afflicted with it. And there's something strange about men. Pride. Do these riches that we have... This great treasure that we have acquired, are we humbly, are we humbly thankful for it? Or have we become proud? And the sad thing about this, uh, this pride that, uh, that the brother can develop if he's not careful, if he's the head of a household and he has a sister wife and he has sons and daughters, This proud attitude can affect them. And unfortunately, the brother then has a double responsibility. Double responsibility. Oh, the depth of the riches embraced in the life, death, resurrection, and immortalization of our Savior, Priest, and future King, Jesus Christ. Pride goeth before a fall. 
And each one of us are afflicted with this sin nature. And we have to continually be on guard. H. Sully, in his uh, book, The Temple of Ezekiel's Prophecy, states that the body of Christ, the saints, may be likened to a vine whose development commenced with Abel. The roots of this vine were formed previous to the coming of the Christ. By faith in the promises are appertaining to the mission of Christ, who is the seed promised to the woman? And that's already been brought out in previous classes. The seed came, he accomplished Yahweh's purpose for that coming, and he will come again. Jesus, before his crucifixion, gathered his apostles in the upper room to celebrate the Passover. And uh, this was what was ta- this takes place before he presents his parable about the true vine. Jesus, before his crucifixion, gathered his apostles in the upper room to celebrate the Passover. And in so doing, he used this time to warn and encourage them that they might be able to endure all that was soon to take place. He also introduced the memorials of the bread and wine. And after his death and his resurrection, the apostles would greatly appreciate all that was done in that upper room. The twelve men, Jesus and the eleven others, Judas had already left. The twelve men left the brightness of that upper room and descended into the gloomy, dark, silent streets of the sleeping city and began to walk toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And they did not walk in silence as the Lord led the way through the streets of the city. He continued to instruct the apostles. He continued to instruct and exhort the apostles. He tried to bring clearly home to them their true relationship to him. Let's turn to John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. You know, it's just it's just shortly that uh, Jesus will be uh, brought before the high priest and uh, Pilate, and then Herod, and then back to Pilate. He'll be scourged by the by the Roman soldiers, then crucified. I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. Abide in me. 
Remain in me. Continue in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Here's something else I found that was interesting in my study concerning the vine. It is said that the temple at that time, which uh, Herod built, the temple had a golden vine spread out with its branches hanging down from a great height. It was above the doors, but under the crown work. Josephus, the historian, in book 15, chapter 11, paragraph 3, state that, states that its largeness and workmanship were spectacular. A huge golden vine. And I'm sure Jesus, and if, if this vine existed, I'm sure Jesus and the apostles knew about it. This huge golden vine was supposed to represent Israel under the law of Moses. And I've said earlier, except for a small remnant, Israel did not produce. This was, this required fruit. So Jesus said, I am the true vine. The disciples had already brought some fruit by being his faithful followers for over three years. They had absorbed much of his basic treatment, basic teachings, but there was other things that they had to learn. They had been baptized into the name and, and were further prepared. There was something else done in the upper room. The washing of their feet by the master in the upper room. The washing of the feet. He washed all twelve. Think about that. The Lord Jesus washed their feet. They were fit to, to carry the gospel to the people. They had been prepared by the teachings of the Master. But back at that verse 4, he's hoping that uh, they will remember this. And they did, except for one. Abide in me, and I in you. Remain or continue. There were two sides to the relationship between them. The first was his relationship to them, and the second was their relationship to him. In the handout, do you see the vine, and do you see the branches? Vine, the vine is Jesus Christ, the branches are the twelve apostles, and eventually us. The first was his relation to them. They must come they first must come, the first must come from their willingness to be in Him. In Him. We are called, but we have a free choice as to whether we shall answer or not. If we decide to go to Jesus, He will come to us. He will not come if we are not prepared to receive Him. After the calling... 
which Yahweh does, Yahweh bringeth the increase, the first steps must come from us. As Jesus said on a former occasion, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find it. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Also look in verse 4. The branch cannot bear fruit of of itself. You see those grapes? Those grapes will not be produced if that branch is not in that vine. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Many people think that they will receive salvation provided they live a life which is good by their own standards. If they are honest and mind their own business, and do a kindness to someone ever now and again. This is not asking, seeking, and receiving. It's doing what man wants to do. It's negative spiritual living, and and the end result is death. We cannot bear fruit of ourselves. This ties in with the teaching in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He purchased it that it may bring forth more fruit. He purchased it that it may bring forth more fruit. And look in verse 1. Who is the husbandman? Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father Yahweh is the husbandman. We cannot bear fruit of ourselves. This ties with the teaching of verse 2, which states that every branch is pruned by God so that it can bring forth fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. I am the vine, ye are the branches. This is an extraordinary statement. I am the vine, you are the branches. Let's turn to Romans 12. Aaron, uh, Brother Aaron uh, talked about this some in his previous class. Now if you look at the handout, <clears throat> you see the vine, you see the branches. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, what this parable represents. And it's here in Romans 12, 4 and 5. Romans 12, 4 and 5. Members are branches equals members. Vine equals Christ. That's what it is. That's what this parable is saying. Branches equals members or brothers and sisters. Vine equals Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, it's in that simple little... Do you realize the riches that are in that little statement? And sometimes we make it, we try, we make it so hard. We make it so hard. And there are things 
that are hard to understand in the Scriptures, but this is not, brothers and sisters, this is not hard. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 4. As far as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now look at this look at this handout. That's one vine. And look how many members branches are on that vine. Okay, let's go over to First Corinthians six fifteen. First Corinthians six fifteen. And how many times have we heard this? Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Branches, members. Vine, Christ. Chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, many branches, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And uh, let's go ahead and uh, read Ephesians four fifteen and 16. Uh, Aaron, Aaron uh, has already touched on it, but I don't have a problem with repetition. I need a, I need a lot of repetition. I need to be... Uh, well, I'll, uh, well, I don't like to use this word, but I need to be preached to over and over and over again. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Oh, my goodness, there's the word love. Mm. 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint, every joint, every branch supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Keep that in your mind. Keep that love in your mind. We're going to get back to it before I conclude. From the foregoing, we see that the body of true believers is referred to as the body of Christ. This being the case... It is easy then to see that he is also referred to as the vine. Then we can be the branches, because the branches are an integral part of the vine. Just as we live in Christ, so the branches keep alive by staying in the vine. Remain, continue in the vine. As members of Christ, we must remain and continue in Him. Apart from the vine, just like the branches, we die. Now, you see all those clusters of grapes 
Boy, that is a fruitful vine. Just look at them. Goodness. Without me, just as a branch will bring forth much fruit if it stays in the vine, and we're going to be constantly pruned, just like a, a mortal husbandmen that have vineyards, they have to continually work in that vineyard. So the true, and it's pruned, so the true believer or the branch will bring forth fruit as long as he or she remains part of the spiritual body of Christ, which is the ecclesia of God. Without me, you can do nothing. Severed from me, you can do nothing. A point often missed, and this is extremely important, a point often missed when studying this verse is that the husbandman, the vine, and the branches have a relationship one with the other. As long as the branches stay in the vine, they have fellowship with the Father. As long as the members of the body stay in Christ, we have fellowship with the Father. And if we separate from Jesus, if we withdraw, if we pull away, He can't be our mediator. We have to repent and come back. We have to get back on that vine. It's best not to do that if we can do it. Another point. There's new branches coming up on this vine. We have new members New, young brothers and sisters that, that come into the ecclesia. New members, new, ban- new branches, new members of Christ, new branches of the vine. So the fruitfulness has to do with length of time that you're on the vine. And uh, do you see what happens if we, uh, we don't remain in Christ, members in Christ? The branches, it'll there won't be any fruit. So we've got to stay in Christ. We've got to remain in Christ and continue to grow. Now, you see the grapes. That's fruits of the spirit. Now, do we do? Would we learn about the fruits of the spirit, and we develop the fruits of the spirit? But are they just to hang there? Is there no other use? Oh, I've got the fruits of the Spirit. I know what the fruits of the Spirit are. What are we supposed to do with the fruits of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit. Love, faith, love, mercy, patience, kindness, perseverance. What benefit are these if they are not implemented in our daily life? If they're just hanging there like the grapes on this, on this vine. If they're just hanging there, they're going to rot. We've got, we've got to use them. Okay. Young brothers and sisters that come into our body, become members of the body, they may, I'm not going to say all the time, there may be an exception. I, I have yet to, to meet any that, uh, 
that we're able to do this. Most young brothers and sisters need some assistance in the beginning. Hopefully there will be older brethren there to help who have developed the fruits of the Spirit and implement them. Faith, love, mercy, patience, kindness, perseverance. What about brothers and sisters who become overcome by error or wrong behavior? Do the the fruits of the Spirit enter into the retrieval of these brothers and sisters? The fruits of the sister, the fruits of the Spirit. They're not going to do any good if we just know them and that's it. Let's state them again. Repetition. Faith, love, mercy, patience, kindness, perseverance. Now, we have to implement these when brothers and sisters begin to teach error or they have the wrong kind of behavior. Unfortunately, some remain unrepentant. But sometimes, sometimes if we implement these grapes, these fruits of the Spirit, they can be retrieved. A believer will only remain fruit-bearing through constant contact with Christ through the Word. Thus, abiding in Him, He will obtain... But you've got to do this. You've got to abide in Christ. He will obtain the strength to walk in purity of life with Christ, sharing in all the interest of His life, mediating on His behalf before the Father, and strengthening Him through wisdom and faith to succeed. Where Christ's words abide in a person, fruit will result. Moreover, prayer will be found to be a strengthening influence and will be granted because Christ's teaching will govern the requests and filter prayer so that it will be in accordance with Yahweh's will. The fruit thus revealed will reflect glory to the Father and will pleasing be pleasing unto Him. Now, as Jesus had manifested love unto the apostles, believers are expected to do likewise one to the other. And what is this love? It is doing what is best for another at the expense of one's own convenience. It is not a mere emotional urge, that is, it does not stem from unenlightened flesh. It is based on a knowledge of the truth. John taught that it is of God so that the manifestation of a true love is impossible apart from God. The world describes love as the fulfilling the will of another. But that is not the love described in Scripture and designated by the word agape. This love is an affection that stems from truth. Seek the greatest good for its recipient, even though it may be 
misunderstood. Being creative of divine revelation and truth, this love knows what is best for its object and is not blinded or deflected by other consideration. It was revealed in its purest form in the offering of Jesus. And who wrote this? It was the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle of Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the Apocalypse. So he's the one that's saying this about love. Hereby perceive we the love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, the Apostle John was with the Lord when they were in the upper room. He, uh, they had the Passover supper. Jesus, the Master, washed his feet with the other eleven. He instituted the memorial service, which we're about to partake of, the bread and wine, in just a few minutes. And then they sang a hymn, and they got up and walked down those dark streets to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was down those streets that uh, the Lord Jesus told John and the other apostles that he was the true vine and they must abide in him. If we're going to be successful, we as members of the one body, we must abide in Jesus Christ. So Jesus taught the apostles. He made... Jesus Christ made use of every single opportunity that he could to instruct and encourage right up to the moment that he was killed on the cross stake. So Jesus taught the apostles as they walked through the dark streets of Jerusalem a few hours before he laid down his life. Hereby perceive we the love because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And those apostles, the leaven that were with him, except for John, I think John lived a long natural life, the other ten, they were killed like the Lord Jesus.